we're going to talk about relationships a little bit for two weeks here. And today is like the first building block. And we have so many expectations in our relationships, don't we? Like people disappoint us consistently. Um, we feel hurt often. And we are frustrated. And I think that what I would like to accomplish is maybe give you some instructions here on relationships. And, and today is going to be more foundational. Um, next week will be a lot more of what I'm saying as far as instructions. Um, but relationships are, are like, um, you know, you see what other people's relationships look like, and a lot of times that's what you want. And, or you see something like on TV or, or you hear about something and you're like, that's, that's the kind of thing that I want. Or that's somewhere we get our expectation of what a relationship should look like, whether it's your, your friend or your fiance or your spouse or a parent or a child uh, or a coworker or, or a boss or an employee. We have all these relationships and we have a certain level of expectation of what they ought to look like and how they should behave towards us to make us feel the way that we feel like we need to feel. And so we find out over time that nobody else is reading the same things that we are and they're not necessarily interested in the same things that you are. And so anytime you get different people that have a different idea about the same thing, you're going to have conflict, right? So how do we manage this? How do we work through all of that is kind of what I would like to go through. But, but it's kind of like when you go to Ikea and you see what that kitchen could look like, or you look at what that end table could look like, and then it arrives at the house and it's in a flat box. And you have to put it together. Have you ever, just Google like Ikea assembly fails. It's awesome. But I found this great video about things that you never hear people say when they're assembling Ikea furniture. And then the last half is what they really say. So we edited some of it just to let you know. Go ahead and run that. Things never said while assembling Ikea items. Babe, could you pass me the instructions? Oh, thanks. I'm glad you're helping. Alrighty. Let's get stuck into the next one. Hand me that flat pack. Wow, look at you go. Where'd you learn all this? That obviously goes in there. Running ahead of schedule. Nice. Mm. Looks just like it does in the picture. Oh, this is fun. That guy in the store was spot on. Yeah. Oh, it took five minutes. You know, I think the Allen key may be my favourite tool. Why'd we only buy one of these? Well, that must be it. Nothing left in the bag. Done. Babe, it says here. Have we got a receipt for this piece of... That doesn't go like that. Not as easy as it looks, is it? Well, what are all these then? Who gives a... Where are you going? Just going back to that shop to punch the guy in the head. If I ever meet Alan, I'm going to take this key, turn it sideways and ram it up his... I told you we edited it, all right? Just... But relationships require similar effort, don't they? Because we get frustrated because we feel like they ought to know. Well, they ought to know that that's what they're doing and they ought to know how that makes me feel or they should be more intuitive about what I need out of this relationship, whatever the relationship is. And it's easy just to go right to like a marriage relationship or something like that. But we're talking about all of our relationships. They require work. And by the way, great relationships require great work. They don't just happen. 
Anytime you get two people involved, you have different backgrounds, different expectations, different opinions, and loads of history and lots of baggage. And so how, how do you expect to put all of that in to a tight space and not have some kind of conflict? And I don't care what the relationship is, but life is relational. That's the thing. It's, it's how we one another. There are so many one another's in the New Testament. I love it so much. We actually did a whole series last year on one anothering because there are so many one another's that we are supposed to do. And that's what I love about community groups so much is that it gives you the opportunity to get to know maybe a dozen folks in a more intimate way where you can actually one another each other so much better because folks, we ain't one anothering right now, right? We're not, you're just sitting on your butt looking forward, listening to me talk. Now, that's a beautiful thing, and I'm glad you're here. It really makes church a lot easier, but it's, it's not one anothering. One anothering is preferring one another and serving one another and loving one another and all of those beautiful things, and that happens in smaller contexts, but most likely in the closer relationships that you enjoy with fewer people than probably a dozen. Like, I mean, we're probably looking at family relationships, work relationships, um, uh, friendship relationships, that kind of thing. But in building these meaningful relationships, there's little you can actually do about the other person. And so where we're going today, just to let you know, we're kind of creating this foundation. We're kind of starting here. Where we are going today right now, and we'll get to, to more working together next week, but we are going to see that the Bible gives us a lot of instructions about what we are supposed to do about ourselves. It gives us very little instruction about what we're supposed to do to fix other people. Hello. But that's where we always go. It's like, well, if he would just... Or if she would stop, or they should, we look to everybody else to meet the needs that we have. But it seems like consistently the focus of the Bible is you, like fixing you and the stuff that you need to fix. And so here we are. When building healthy relationships, start with a better you. So this is step one, folks. This is it. In our assembly instructions, this is where we begin. There's not much we can do about anybody else, but there is a lot we can do about ourselves and our behavior. So much frustration, so much sadness and unmet expectations happen when we focus on the other person. It's like you're setting yourself up for failure. By the way, there is nobody equipped to meet your needs like Jesus can. It's not fair for the husband to look at the wife and expect her to meet all of his needs emotionally and everything else. Same way with the wife. You can't look at the husband and expect him to know anything. God help us. Like give us a hint at least, right? Lord have mercy. Like, there's no perfect parents out there. There's no perfect kids. There's no perfect friends. And yet, how frustrated are we in life because we look to people and we expect them to meet our needs? And sometimes we're just like on edge and we just get upset at everybody because we just think everybody ought to be nice to us all the time. Meanwhile, you're a real piece of work. (laughs) 
But we ignore the person that we can actually change, and that's ourself, right? Did you hear that? Like we look at everybody else and we're like, man, I don't know why they keep doing that or how come they say that or why can't she keep a clean house or why can't he just come home and love me better or how come my mom and dad never said, how come my boss always said, and we come up with all of these reasons why everybody else needs to change so that I can be happy and we don't even look at the fact that God is focusing on you and the change that you need to make and you're the only one who can change you. The reason we look at everybody else is because we don't want to look at ourselves and we don't want to change ourselves because it's too aggravating and too time-consuming. It's so hard to change ourselves. I'm not sure what's happening to my voice this morning, but when we build healthy relationships, we need to start with a better version of who we are. So let me just help you with something. Whoever you have in your mind right now, right? Put them in a proverbial box, not a literal one. Put them in a proverbial box, tape it shut, stick them on the shelf, and work on you this morning. Focus on you. Just work on you. Spend the next 15, 20 minutes and think, all right, God, what are you trying to say to me? How do I need to change? How can I be a better? And then you fill in the blank because that's what we're after this morning. Living the life that God has called you to live will help you grow the relationships God wants you to have. How beautiful is that? So if you just become the person God has made you to be, and if you let him work in your life to the point where you are becoming more like the the model that he has set for you, then it's amazing how the relationships in your life become the ones that God wants you to have. Now, there's still imperfect people on the other end of it, right? But at least now you're able to see what you need to work on to make those relationships work better. And Jesus offers us a pretty incredible life. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is John 10.10. I didn't even put it up here for you because it was just something I thought of late last night. But it says, it says the, this is Jesus talking. He said, the thief comes but to, but to kill and to destroy, and to, to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that you might have life But then he adds this, he said, and that you might have it more abundantly. That's what God has in mind for you. That's the life that he wants you to live. And as we conform to the way that he wants us to live, it produces this abundant life. The abundant life doesn't happen whenever we we get saved. The abundant life doesn't happen when we meet Jesus. That's the beginning of the journey. The abundant life happens as we obey and as we change and as we become who he wants us to become and as we begin begin to implement the things in our life that he's working on. So work on you and enjoy the abundant life that he has for you. It doesn't say it's going to be easy. But what, what I love about the word abundant is it means this. It means overflowing. It means enough to share. So how great would this be in any relationship that you currently have if you were so in tune with the Lord and your life was so full of abundance that it overflows to the people who are in your life. Instead of you being a black hole and sucking all the energy out of the room, 
If you were actually a contributor because you are getting so much from the Lord and you are enjoying this life and now you are the one who is just just bringing it forth like you are just sharing his love and you are just enjoying life and people who are with you can't even help but notice the incredible joy that you have. That's attractional. That is, man, that's what, that's what we're supposed to be. And the world that we live in, whoever God has put in your life, that's who is affected by the life that we live when we pattern our life after the life that God wants us to live. So focus on you. So wife, I know he's not all that. I know he doesn't love you like Christ loved the church. Husband, I know she could do better. I know your parents aren't perfect. I know your kids are, you know. I know that your boss is tough, or the coworker, and I, okay, so all right, but you can't change them. I don't care how much you gripe. I don't care how much you yell, cry, get angry. I don't care how accurate your throw is. It's not going to change who they are for the better but you can change you. So here's a couple things I think that are benefits to changing you. When you start with you, first of all, you have a better you. You just have a better you. I mean, that's, that's a great place to start. And you're the only one you can really change. You become a better version of yourself. And the reason we change is because we truly believe that, that conforming ourselves to the way that we are supposed to live according to the Lord and according to Scripture that that's what's best for us, that that produces the abundant life. You know what's amazing is all of the thou shalt nots are for our benefit, right? You go messing with somebody else's wife, it's not gonna end well, right? You commit murder, it's not gonna end well. Everything he tells us not to do and everything he tells us to make sure that we do is for our benefit. It produces a better life. And so when we are focusing on us and the change that we can really make in our life, it produces a better life for us, a better you, which is number two, a better life. So a better you, you become a better version of who you are, and then it produces a better life, even if they never change. And they may not And you have to be okay with that because you are not becoming who you need to be just so that they will become who you think they need to be. You're becoming who you need to be because that's who God wants you to be. How many relationships do you see out there where you got a grouchy old goat married to a sweet, beautiful lady and she just lives this wonderful life. I know this from personal experience. She just lives... Not me, just someone I know. And she just, she just lives this beautiful life and tries to follow Jesus and just try and, and tries to live a life for her family and, and tries to, to honor him with her life. And then she's married to a guy that's just mad at the world. And you're like, how does that happen? Like, God, just take him, right? I know you never think that kind of thing. I do, though, once in a while. Like, her life would be a lot better. I don't know that. That's just my presumption. 
But even if they never change, your life could significantly improve because you are focusing on what God wants you to do. How awesome is that? And now you're not dependent upon that other person to make your life better. You are becoming a better version of who you are. We're going to love our life more. And our behavior affects the attitude that we exude, that we give off, even if they never change. Because, you know, when you live right, when you do right, when you know you're being obedient, there's no guilt. There's no shame. You just feel better. You have more joy because God's way works. You have a better you. You have a better life, even if they never change. And then thirdly, I believe this, that you may end up with a better them. Maybe. I don't know. No guarantees, right? You may end up with a better them. You might just, because of your behavior, they might respond or they might improve because God's working on them too, right? So here's, what's, here's what would be tragic. Like if God is working on their heart and God is trying to change them or, or maybe win him to themselves, to himself, or maybe he's trying to, to work on your husband or work on your spouse or work on that kid and you are not in tune with the Lord and you start saying stuff, because you're trying to fix the problem. And when you try to fix the problem, sometimes you're working against what God is trying to do and you don't even know it. I just want to work on me because I can, I, I can work with the Lord to change who I am. But there's very little that we can do to change other people. But my behavior can affect the temperature of the room. And my behavior can affect how they respond to me. And there's even scriptural evidence that says that the behavior of one spouse could possibly lead the other spouse to Christ. And if that works in a marriage relationship, for sure it would work in a friendship. For sure it could work in any other relationship. Our behavior might just affect their behavior. Now, Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5. I know you're wondering if I was ever going to get to the Bible. <laughs> I will say this. Next week's going to be a lot, lot heavier in, in, in Scripture. But uh, this, is, this is so critical right here. So, so Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And there's a book in your Bible called Ephesians. It's in the New Testament towards the end. And he writes this. And it really is just a beautiful book to read about how how it should look um, to be a Christian, what our behavior should, should look like, how, how our lifestyle should reflect following Jesus. Um, so, so you have the first three chapters are kind of like one half, and then the next three chapters are another half. And you have at the end of chapter 4, the last eight verses or so, you have Paul just giving this, this great, beautiful list of, of how our behavior, um, what, what our behavior should look like. And then he gets to chapter 5, and he starts chapter 5. Now, now chapter 5, you, don't, you, you may not know this, but chapter 5 is a famous chapter on relationships, particularly the end of the chapter, like verses 22 through the end, because he talks specifically about the relationship of a husband and wife. You know, it says, wives love, you know, husbands love your wives, and wives submit to your husbands, and submit one to another, and all that kind of stuff. And so we use that all the time. 
too often like a whipping post, but it's not intended for that. But there's this great instruction. But before we get to any of that, here's the thing. Before we get to any of that, Paul spends the first 21 verses of chapter 5 instructing us about you. Before he gets to husbands do this and wives do this, he's all about you. And he starts it off this way. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Your Bible might say followers of God. Be imitators of God as dear children. This is significant. This is a big deal. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, what do we do? We find out what it's there for. All right, so we go back and we read chapter four and we find out what, why did Paul say therefore? In other words, he is taking everything that he just wrote and bringing it into chapter five and he's saying now therefore, now you know when Paul wrote this, it was just a letter, there weren't chapter and verse divisions. So he's just continuing this letter and it's like the end of a paragraph, he starts the next paragraph and says therefore. And so if a reader was reading therefore, he would go and find out in the previous paragraph what it was there Four, and so if you read the end of chapter four, you realize that he is giving us instruction on exactly how we're supposed to live in relationship with each other. It's beautiful. And he says, okay, now that you know all of that, I want you to look at this, what I'm about to tell you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, there's two words here that I underlined on purpose. And I don't want to get really super deep here, but this was so interesting to me. So you know the, the, the New Testament, the second half of, of, of your Bible, was written in, uh, in, you know, a couple thousand years ago in Koine Greek. Koine means common. So it was the common language of the day. And so you can go back, you can actually buy a Koine Greek Bible if you would like. I'm not sure why you would like to, but you could. If, you, if it would help. But we had to study this in college. And so uh, there's a lot of meaning there. And so you look at a word that is in the original Greek, and it means so many different things, but it creates this depth. It just it makes you see things differently. And so I wanted to share this with you, that these two words are important. So first of all, you have the word imitator. We, the Greek word for imitator here is mamitas. We get the word mime from mimetus. As a matter of fact, if you go to the dictionary and you look and you look past the definitions where it says like the origin, it'll say the origin is Greek. And so here's what's interesting about that word. Have you ever seen a mime? They don't say anything. In other words, <laughs> what Paul is saying is don't talk about his love. Walk his love. Show it. So, <laughs> you know, I know, right? Pin drop. But it's like pen, pin, pin drop. Not a mic drop. I'm not done yet. Literally, what Paul is saying is your behavior should show, should so imitate Christ that you don't actually have to say anything. So how's that nagging working for you? How's complaining to your coworkers about the boss working for you? I'm just saying, he said, be an imitator, mime. I read this, like, like, don't tell everybody you have it, show them that you have it, do as God does. In other words, live it out before your world. So whoever is in your world, imitate, mime Christ. The second word that I really found interesting here was the word children. You're like, well, I know what that means. But, you know, 
what's significant about the word technon in, in the Greek is that it, it indicates a birth relationship. So those of us who have been born into the family of God, like we have trusted him in his death on the cross, the Bible literally says that we are born again in John 3. There is now a familial relationship that we have with God that is a strong birth-type relationship. And so this relationship that we have should affect how we imitate. So the relationship, the fact that we are children of God, should affect how we imitate Christ. The Ephesians that that this was written to were already born. Now Paul is telling them to live like they are born, like live like you are children of God. So a couple other supporting verses here that I thought were were great to bring into this is 1 John 2, verse 6. And 1 John talks about all about loving each other. And it says this, Whosoever says he lives in Christ ought to walk and conduct himself just as as he walked and conducted himself. Just as. So how would Christ behave as a dad or a husband or a fiancé or a friend or a co-worker? Put him in that role and maybe allow that to help you know what to imitate. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, for oh, this is so amazing. For you were called to this. Now, Peter is writing to a persecuted church. They were going through, if you read the context of what he's writing, if you read up just a little bit, he's talking about the troubles that they're experiencing and the persecution that they're experiencing and the sufferings that they have. And then he says this, Peter has the gall to tell these people who love Jesus that the suffering that they're experiencing is something they were actually called to. And I know that we don't like that message and I know that we don't like the fact that, that in, in 21st century America that anything but, but roses and unicorns ought to be a part of our life. But I'm, what, what, I'm, what I'm reading here is that suffering is part of the Christian life. And whether it's the relationship you have with somebody or whether it's just other things in your life, don't be surprised when suffering comes, is what he's saying. You were, I mean, imagine him actually saying, this is what you're called to. So whoever you're married to, whoever you're a friend of, wherever you're working, that's your seat on the airplane. We're not changing. Okay? That you, that, that you're, you're, that, that's your seat. That's your assigned seat. And you've been called to that seat. For <laughs> you were called to this. Then he says this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. So what was the example of Christ that was left for us? He suffered. He endured suffering. So in our relationships, here's some questions I think that that might help. And what I'm hoping to do with this is get your mind thinking in the right direction because I don't know what it is, uh, what what is your relationship and what it's like or what God is trying to do. But here's a couple of questions that I think that if you asked yourself as you're focusing on you, not on fixing the other person, not on their behavior, but if we are doing step one here, 
Step one is you. Fix you. Work on you. Here's a couple questions that I think that you can ask yourself that might help clarify a few things. And the first thing is this. In what area of my life do I need to grow? So God has you there. God has you in this relationship. How is that affecting what I need in my life? Who am I supposed to be becoming? And is God using this relationship to form that in my life? What do I need to learn? So, so if I'm focusing on their behavior, I'm not learning anything. But if I focus on what God is trying to teach me and where I need to grow, I know, I know that that's not how you thought this was going to turn out. I know that that's, that wasn't the situation you expected to find yourself in. And I know that's not where you thought you were going to be at this point in your life. I know that. But you're here, right? You've been called to this. Maybe because you were an idiot. Maybe because God is trying to do something in your life. Maybe because they are. I'm sorry. I just sucked all the spiritual out of the room. But it's like maybe you just made some bonehead mistakes. And so that's where you are right now. Okay, so God can use this, right? God is here and God is working on you. So now what is God trying to grow in your life in the situation that you're in right now? I... I, I see people all the time that are so frustrated with their situation and they're so unhappy because of their situation. And they live like that. Like that's gonna change their situation. When instead, what we need to look at is, okay, so this is what I'm called to. This is my situation. The question is now, how can this situation change who I am as a person? What is God trying to do in my life? What do I need to learn? How is God trying to grow me here in what I'm supposed to be doing? Second question I would ask myself is, what is my role in this relationship? So I'm here in this relationship. My friend is wackadoodle. I'm not sure how to interact with him. I'm not sure exactly what. All right, what is your role in this relationship? Okay, define that. I'm their friend. I am, I'm there. So, so, okay, so now that I understand what my role is, whether I'm a friend or a husband or a wife or a daughter or a mother or a son, a father, whatever my relationship is, how does this role define the relationship that I'm supposed to have with this person? And how can God use this relationship? And then how does that determine my behavior? So how should a friend respond? How should a godly wife respond? Interact. How should a husband who loves Jesus treat his wife? That's what we're talking about. Like once you identify your role in this relationship, why does God have me here? Not only what I'm supposed to, what am I supposed to learn, but what should I be doing with this? How can I leverage this relationship for the most benefit for that individual? How can I be who I'm supposed to be for them? Stop focusing on their faults and all of their issues and how they can improve to make your life better. That's not what's at stake here. Focus on my responsibility in this role. And let me just tell you that I really believe, and I've just noticed it lately, that we, we do a lot of, let's just say, manipulating in our relationships sometimes through positive compliments or dropping little hints now and then, trying to change who they are to become how we want them to be 
because it makes us feel better. And maybe we just need to worry about who God wants them to be and use our role and leverage that position for the benefit of that individual and use who God wants us to be to help, which brings me to number three, and that is how do I partner with Jesus in this? So, so as I said earlier, like, I believe Jesus is working on their heart. I believe Jesus is working on their life. And maybe we just need to give Jesus some room to work and not interfere with what he's doing. He loves them more than you love them. He has more invested in them than you have invested in them. He is a whole lot smarter about what they need in their life than you are. Now, he can use you, no doubt. But let's give him room to work. What is he trying to do in my life that can help this relationship? How would he respond to that individual? What would his goal be? What would be like his number one priority with that individual? Would his number one priority be that she get the laundry done the way that you want it? Or would his number one priority be loving her well? Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Robert. That was a nervous laugh, by the way. I noticed just, Disney's right there with you. But, but they're not going to change because you guilt them or gripe at them or get angry with them. Allow the Lord to do the work that he's wanting to do in their life. And you figure out how you can partner with Jesus to help that, to make that happen. How would Jesus handle that relationship? And how can you love them well and give God space to do what he's going to do? Our job is to bring people to Jesus. That's why we're here, right? The people that God has brought into our life, we all have a world that we live in. And I truly believe that that the, the, the beautiful thing is that that's the world that we are called to reach. And the life that we live has an effect on how they view Jesus. And whoever, is God brought, whoever God has brought into my life is a relationship with Jesus waiting to happen. And I would love to be a part of making that happen. And I want to live the abundant life so that it's obvious to others that as I am yielding myself to him and becoming who he wants me to be, that that abundant life that he gives just overflows to other people. Work on yourself, the person that you can change, and allow God to work on other people in your life. Now, next week, we'll talk a little bit more about working together to fix things and make things better and, and some principles about how to treat each other. But this week, let's just put that all in a box and work on who you are in front of God and what God's trying to do in your life. And even if you're thinking like, you know what? There's nobody significant. Like yet, you still have relationships. Work on becoming who God wants you to be. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us so well. Thank you for wanting only good for us. Thank you for uh, loving the other people in our lives as well. And I pray we would just allow you to work in our own heart and life, that whatever that is that you have just shown your light upon would be our focus, and that you would do a work in our heart and life, and that we would be willing to yield ourselves to you in that area of our life and give ourselves over to you so that we can begin to see the change 
that results in walking with you through life. Amen.